For almost a decade on my TV show, Interview with Ed, I've been interviewing extra-dimensional beings and consciousnesses from a number of different realms. Many of my questions have been answered, but with every answer comes more questions. Join me on my ongoing quest to find out who are we, why are we here, and where are we going? Hey, Lisa, how's it going? I didn't catch up. Just catch us up to speed. What's what's Lisa been doing uh, these days? I know you have not been going to Japan, unfortunately. Yeah, that whole thing, man. You know, um, for those of you that don't know, we flew back in 2020, the day there was a state of emergency in Arizona. So we got back into the country before we weren't able to. And then since then, the company that I work for in Japan has basically stopped bringing everybody and we've been doing all of I've been doing all my work um, online so that means because I um, I used to spend three uh, I used to go to Japan three times a year for like six weeks each time so instead I'm just doing everything online which is you know staring at the computer screen and that's been going on now for three years hopefully I will be back there in November. They, they've they transitioned then to online and they're not set up now to, to actually bring people. They got rid of their condos and everything. So I know it was this whole change. So they're just catching up and that's that's why I haven't been in Japan, which is, it's been, well, you know, we were texting about it. My heart yeah. is so sad. I'm leaving in like two days, so I'm three so days. <laughs> I hate you. Well, I'll get, I'll, I'll come back with a report. I'll let you know. Okay. I expect um, that. I'm sure, I'm sure Japan is just fine. You know, they're, 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 uh, and the yen is low right now. So it's a good time to go. It's a good time to travel there. Absolutely. So for, for me then, especially this year, it's just, you'd think that not traveling things would be calmer, but it's actually been. I know uh, you're shaking your head and I know it's been this way for you. The last few years have been nonstop, like feeling like you're running a a marathon or something. And the last six months has been all about, you know, when you're in your house for years now where you weren't before, it's been all about fixing the things that you've been ignoring for so long. So we had to do a kitchen remodel and then the kitchen's connected to the office. So my husband, Ron, has been working his little butt off doing that and well, me too. So that's kind of where so my, he's so good at it. We, we, he's we like didn't, a, we didn't touch him last week uh, when we talked to him. Um, yeah. Ron is an amazing carpenter. Like he's super skilled and built your office. It's awesome. Yep. He built the office I'm in here. This is a mm-hmm. pandemic office, which he, <laughs> he built and in six weeks, although he promised it in two weeks and I thought he was crazy. Nobody can that do is, it in two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> That is a little crazy. Um, so at the re- so you did the retreat. This is the last year we we not this past year, but the year before we did it, and we had that amazing. I, I was you know two nights of uh, extreme activity, uh, right. and I caught the second night. I caught a little bit on film, but um, how about this time? What did I miss? What did you miss? Well, yeah. we had still some extreme activity. I would say it was not as extreme as it was the year you were there in 21, but it was 
the same typical light pattern of those like orange lights or orange orbs that would then separate into one or uh, into two or three, you know, and move around a little bit. And, and they would glow up. And they, power exactly, up kind of exactly. Yeah. And we, we also had a, a, some strange um, audio phenomenon that happened this time. And uh, that was, you know, you, you can picture the circle, right, um, out there. Well, where I was standing, it sounded like Latal had actually finished with the crystal balls and the gong. So it sounded almost like reverberation from the crystal balls. I mean, it was this weird resonant sound. But what I didn't know was that the people in the farthest part of the circle, they said it was as loud as a jet engine. And the, yeah, no, well, no, they, it didn't sound as much crystal ball-y to them. It was more jet engine kind of. It was hard, hard to describe because I didn't hear it. But the interesting is, thing is that the new owners who li live on a hill overlooking the the site, they also heard it and they were totally freaked out. They had no idea what it was. They came out and they knew we were doing contact work. So they were just like, what? <laughs> it's interesting. You and others in the group didn't hear it. We Yeah, it seemed to be localized. Like, because from my, where I stand in the group toward that little house thing, it was the lower sound, but the other half of the circle, it was really, really loud, which is really strange that it could change that, that much just in the span of the circle. So we had that happen. Um, one night was the strongest, um, but it was a little bit lower on the next night. And um, I had a, a personal thing happen with um, my friend that I was hoping would get to meet you, but she wasn't. She, she came this year and you weren't there. Um, it's somebody I've known for a long time. And I've kind of like introduced her to this whole thing because we met through yoga when we were training as yoga teachers. So she didn't meet me because she knew what I was doing. And so it was her first, like, she's no longer a virgin, you know? So it was a UFO virgin. Sure. And we had an experience together after it was finished where people were, we were packing up and stuff. And um, we looked over. Now, you can imagine I'm facing the valley, right? I looked over to my left, which is closer to where she was sitting. And we both saw this suddenly not over the mountains but in the sky this huge white light that powered up like light, brighter than anything i've ever seen in this in the sky during contact work really pure white bright and it seemed to pulse and then shrink down and disappear and we both saw that together so that was a really special moment for the two of us and of course i was thinking damn it if ruben was here he would have filmed this <laughs> Excuse me. We'll have, I mean, the next one I'll have to definitely make it out. Yeah. So, so for those of you listening, you know, Lisa is that I'm sure you've seen from the show and just this incredible uh, contact specialist, you know, contact, you have many titles, but, but that work that you've introduced me to, you know, I had originally done one of Greer's 
uh, seminars, weekend seminars, and and then later, you know, interviewed you for the show, not knowing how much how involved you were with contact works, and then since getting to know you and and hanging out with you in Japan and 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 here in the states, been able to to tag along on some of these contact excursions, and they're super profound every time. Every time we get something, we get even last time it rained the one night and we did the inner work. Uh, we went inside and we had the the hybrid children um, connection. Um, maybe could you describe that or should I describe it? I don't know. Uh, well, I'll describe it as much as I remember and then you can fill in, but Please keep in mind, a lot of it I was channeling, so it's it's very vague in my mind. I barely remember it. But the basic idea was that uh, I'm probably slaughtering it. I know Bobby and Harry are here and Latal is here. And so any other guys that were there with us, you can feel free to add anything. But there was a ship that came in that had hybrid children that were training to be contact specialists, right? And was it that they were different species, right? They were, I can't I remember. those details. No, we were like, go outside and then this massive storm came in and we were like, well, now we're going to be inside. But we were able to have this beautiful contact experience without even having to be outside, right? We, we sat in a semicircle in, in, in the room, in the conference room there. And I, I had, you know, I had felt tingling or you know somebody playing with my feet or something like that some look like somebody taking a feather and moving it along your feet or something like that and i know many other people had that kind of similar experience and some people had more deeper experiences as well with full-on communication and interactions so i feel out of all the channelers and 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 contact people that i've been with you're you're way ahead of the curve <laughs> as far as you know making these connections facilitating the connections for other people to have as well and um and as i you know i, I put together that little testimony uh at the end of your last episode um with with everybody and it's so true it's just like what the the space that you and ron create for these retreats is beyond anything i've experienced anywhere else mm-hmm. and and Latal and I have been going out on our, uh, every month trying to uh, recreate some of that uh, and, uh, and using, uh, you know, her, her sound bowls and uh, introduce the breath work and we're, you know, meditations and we're, we're trying to bring them in. And we've had some, some experiences, but nothing like what, we've ex- what I've experienced at your retreat. So, um, so I think you have the magic formula when it comes to that. <laughs> It's so funny you say that because honestly, I feel like I've been looking for the magic formula for decades and I still don't feel like, like it feels so out of reach, you know, and, and I used to have this belief system that if you found the right button Mm -hmm. to push, right, then contact would happen. But over the years, I've started to realize there isn't a magic button that it's more this progression of our consciousness that's leading us to that so i wonder if you know just the combination of people when we're all together uh we're able to build a unity field enough to sustain an energetic um frequency to make those contacts possible and i have to wonder if i mean the location also maybe has something to do with it it's a oh absolutely yeah 
because yeah. that location mm-hmm. is unlike any other place I've ever, I've ever used. Right. And, and Greer has used that location in the past for, for his stuff. Yeah. Location is key. I think it is. I mean, I know we can sort of create the portal without a specific location. Uh, these different power spots that, that I've been near, you know, out at Giant Rock and uh, we were with Vital, uh, the last, the last one out at Giant Rock and Joshua Tree here in Southern California, a lot of cool power spot locations around, but that definitely feels like the energy of the, the land or whatever meridians or, you know, energy portals does add to the, the experience, the effect. Yes. And, and could, could make it easier to contain, maintain a portal for, for, for these experiences to happen. Yeah, and I think also in terms of physical manifestations, this, the, the location matters because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sure they have, the ETs have considerations, you know, about who's around the area and um, safety for us and, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, you know, it's been all these years I've been asking those questions and I, I get drip, drip <laughs> answers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we could figure it out, you know, in, in, a, in a moment, we'd probably already be, be there. Um, yeah. But I, I'm so clear now that the consciousness of our planet has to be really ready. Yeah. And yeah. it's taken a long time to, I feel, attract groups that are, that are close to that readiness, where there's not a lot of other dynamics going on under the surface that is actually breaking apart the energy. Mm-hmm. instead of unifying the energy. So it's probably just a big smoothie. You got to have all the right ingredients for it to taste perfectly. Well, in what what you know, what humanity is dealing with right now, right? We're we're in a sense we talked with Ron last last week about facing the shadow and and bringing this these unresolved traumas to the surface so we can face them, process them, mute them and and then get to a place where we can have contact work because, you know, this is your teachings and experience as well, that these beings, these, these energies that we're connecting to are, are very high vibration and just the interaction with them or coming into the vicinity of them makes us, brings the trauma to the surface, right? Bring, yeah. Brings it. So we, so we, I'm sure they're using their discernment and how they interact and in, 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 in what way so we don't blow a fuse. Or there's, so a whole, there's a whole other level to it as well that was revealed really this year. And I don't know whether you listen to the recording. I know you're super busy. Actually, I haven't. I'm, I can't wait. I'm getting on the plane. I'm going to bin okay. all, my, all my stuff for the next two weeks. I've been so busy like preparing. I, I, yeah. Yes. But one the the overarching theme of mm-hmm. this year's retreat in terms of the channelings from Sasha and Hamon had to do with the ancient human wound when the ETs left the planet thirteen thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and in this particular retreat this year, they were talking about the archetypal mother. And the archetypal father and the Ar- the Pleiadians played the role of archetypal mother. The Syrians played the role of archetypal father. And so we had okay. two days of the biggest activity 
-hmm. was actually the two days where we worked on those two archetypes, Mm -hmm. healing the wound of being abandoned by the parents, basically, on that, you know, more cosmic level. So when we're talking about all these different factors and Mm -hmm. traumas that affect our experience of the contact process, we have to look at that lens too, that there Mm -hmm. is a whole other level that we're not really consciously connected to all the time because it's so distant and it's so buried within us. But a lot of it has to do with that, that wound of fearing abandonment or being abandoned by a parental archetype. Uh, Briefly, what are some of the things that you would do to heal that, those wounds? A lot of it has to do with becoming aware of it. Okay. And that's part of when you listen to the recording, um, that there's some, uh, and I channel it, so it's blurry. I don't remember all of it, but there, but there is more about that and the audio is available for, for anybody that wonders what we're talking about and you're interested yeah. in audio on my I'll, website. I'll put, a, I'll put a link in the replay for here. Okay, thank you. Uh, but um, the the two days also, there were... The ETs have gotten so much more ceremonial in terms of how they work with us. So okay. on each day, there was a ceremony. There was a mother ceremony by the Pleiadians and a father ceremony by the Syrians hmm. on separate days. And that was meant to bring up the memory, the wound. I remember somebody, I can't really remember who it is. Somebody shared it, but we were in the circle in the dark. So I remember who it was about part of the ceremony. Um, this was the Pleiadian mother ceremony. They were given um an, an obsidian bowl, which was part of the ceremony. Oh, and when they sure. looked in it, they could they just basically went into like a black hole and saw so many of their ancient connections, which kind of unwound um, some of those memories and some of that trauma. So I, as, as much as I hate to say it, you know, we all just want the cool, hey, UFO, let's go, go for a ride. Yeah, so much more in that is entailed in this whole experience of us as a species becoming a cosmic cosmic citizens basically because yeah. we have to remember who we are and own who we are and that means passing through the pain we haven't been willing to experience regarding our cosmic connections do you think i already know your answer but do you think um <laughs> The, everything that's happening on the planet right now, as far as our, you know, our political upheaval, um, economic, you know, there's all kinds of massive changes happening globally with all these structures, right? These established rigid <laughs> structures are all seem to be kind of crumbling and falling apart. Do you think, do you think that is helping us to face our traumas, to to bring this stuff to the surface? Or, or is that a result of us facing our traumas? What it, both? And maybe it's a little bit of both because right, right. It, it's it's triggering them for sure. Tr- triggering, yes. That would- it's triggering our feeling unsafe, our not trusting, you know, all of that stuff. But in the end, and you... You've heard me say this a million times, so mm-hmm. sorry for the million and one time, but no. in the end, 
our transition from third density to fourth density has to do with letting go of polarity. So all of the deep polarity that we're seeing on the planet now is necessary for us to finally be tired of it, <laughs> you know, and, and be like, you know, I'm not going to listen to this person over here talking this story to get me all riled up, you yeah. know, yeah. I'm going to go inside and find my own truth. Exactly. So that's like, that's the biggest test for any species as we move into fourth density. And especially the Syrians will tell you that, oh. you know, I, I could go off on this. But yeah. Well, why, why would, why particularly the Syrians, why would they go off on that? Um, because the Syrians, much more than the Pleiadians, uh, really struggle with polarity. Hmm. Because they split in their civilization, they had a split where there was one group that got really dark. And you could say kind of went down the rabbit hole of darkness, so to mm -hmm, speak, mm -hmm. and were obsessed with all the dark stuff and losing touch with their own light. Mm -hmm. And they became then, you know, obsessed with creating power in the way they define power, which meant the rejection of the other side, right? Right. And then Not you had the other split that was instead of separative were more integrative where they were trying to see all this dark side darkness outside as being a reflection of what was unhealed and unloved within themselves and how can we take that path to integrate that aspect of ourselves so basically they were embracing the idea of the universe being a mirror so that they could then integrate themselves and awaken themselves so the the darker side of the Syrians basically, in a sense, died out because you can't sustain that type of separation indefinitely. Right. And the um, the integrative side of the Syrian, this was all in their fourth density process, eventually went through integration. And so Hamon, who's the Syrian that I channels, said. How's he doing, by the way? Well, you know, I. I trying to remember if I've even channeled him. Did, have Maybe you ever talked to Well, I definitely at the retreat and right. he's not like a chatty. Like I don't hear from him unless there's something he wants to say. Okay. Where Sasha's more sure. chatty. Let's She's say. more chatty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Yeah. Hamon's a little can be a little bit intense. He's so. he's he's cut to the chase here's the work you got to do go do it exactly know. yeah exactly so anyway the point yeah. is that he's seeing that the path they went on is being replayed on earth now where we're mm -hmm. starting to experience that split and you're starting to see one side that is totally obsessed with all the this is the negative stuff that's going on out there and then the other side that's trying to heal themselves by looking at what's going on outside and owning the shadows within. So he's seeing, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's so um, passionate about, about talking to us at this point in our evolution. Nobody else has the, I think I wrote in the thing, the cosmic uh, anthropology, um, <laughs> galactic anthropology um, that you have based on all the different beings that you've channeled and uh, and this galactic history and you, you know the, your the prisms of Lyra the, the the your books 
and and the cards, right? I got to mention the cards because that's such a huge part of of uh, defining these wounds and defining yeah. the direction of how humanity is replaying these stories and how we can do better and and take the take the lessons. So, just a, a big fan. If anybody out uh, listening here has not explored. Lisa's Galactic Heritage cards, please do. And those were channeled through Jermaine? <laughs> yes, yeah. they're channeled okay. through Jermaine, which was going to be an episode we would have done maybe for season four. If you yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which well, was me was me channeling Jermaine to give you your Galactic Heritage reading. That's right. We have to do that. We have to do that. It's going to be fun. I'm so uh, curious about that. <laughs> well, can you give a little history on the on the cards? Like, how did they come about? Oh, actually, before we do that, maybe we do a um, quick question from Yara. I see the, I see the um, question. Okay. Uh, I've mentioned Good. before that I got even better results with the contact retreat when I held it online. Can I expand upon that? Ben. Okay. Oh, okay. Hi, Ben. <laughs> I don't, I've never been with him live, but I see him a lot on, on the Facebook page. Uh, okay, so I'm going to change the word better results with surprisingly powerful results um, because they are apples and oranges. I'd say that when I do contact work online or a retreat online, so to speak, I expected that I wouldn't feel the unity energy. I see. Yep. And actually... 2003 is when I started experimenting with contact work online. And some of you are probably wondering how, because, you know, we didn't have anything. But back then, one of my friends was a gamer and he had a gaming platform that you could get a bunch of people together and talk. Yeah. Yeah. I know you would have, but this was new to me. Right. So we experimented and we had Somebody in Germany, somebody in Mexico, somebody in Canada, and some and a lot of people in the U.S. And what we found was that the web of energy that was created was really powerful. Like we could all feel it. Mm -hmm. And and Sasha explained it that when you are with a group in a local location together, yeah, that yeah, you're generating energy and stuff, but. When you are non-local, in terms of across the planet, what you're doing is creating a web of energy. So you feel it differently. And if you are approaching it in a very, let's say, non-polarized way, that you can create that web. And it's really, really powerful. So for Ben's question... It's not the results are better, but they are different, mm -hmm. but very, very powerful in a mm -hmm. different way. I, I actually can attest to that. I just recently started doing my Wim Hof uh, lessons online here on Wednesdays. We have Wednesday Wim Hof. And I was surprised at, because I'm used, I usually do it, you know, at the lake with my local team or, you know, when we're doing the C5s. So I was also blown away. I, I was like, wow, they, this is actually working. I'm feeling these, uh, the grid, the yes. energy grid that's being uh, connected, even though everybody on, on the call was you know, from all over the place. So I can attest to that. I would say, yes, that is 
exactly um, uh, same same type of thing. Oh, Ruben, look at this question. So can we expect an online collaboration between my team and Ruben to host an online CE5 type event someday? Some seeds are getting planted. <laughs> well, I like that idea. I, I like it too. I like it too. Um, uh, Lori has has her hand up, but I also, I don't want to forget our question. Maybe we'll we'll jump. Lori, is this like contact related? We'll jump in with uh, your question. Yeah, kind of. Okay, jump jump in with your question. Then I do want to get back to the cards, the back room of the cards. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and then and then uh, everybody else has questions after after the cards. But go ahead, Lori. Sure. Hey, Lisa. Um, I actually watched your. I think it was your Portal to Ascension. Um, that you. I watched that just this morning. That was super fascinating. So it kind of connects in with what I've been wondering about how you're talking about the layers of remembrance and then um, all of that. So yeah, it was really cool. Um, so I kind of had like a weird, well, I shouldn't say weird, it's cool, <laughs> experience kind of happened last summer and fall to where um, I started writing a lot of poetry, like out of the blue, and it just started kind of coming to me. And so I would write them really quick and I would go back and, you know, read the information and be like, well, like, <laughs> where is this coming from? So it, I actually published a book and I, oh, there you go. Ruben has it. <laughs> so. Awesome. I can't believe you have that there. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's been quite the journey. And so all about that timing, I actually had a um, channel uh, reading schedule with Daniel Scranton um, that I had booked like four months in advance, kind of forgot about. It all timed right about then. So I asked him about it because I had gotten this name while I was writing of the name Devin and that this was a Pleiadian guide. And I look up this name and it means poet and overseer. And I was like, what the heck? And so, you know, I asked Daniel in the plating council, I was like, is this a channeled book? You know, what, what's, is that what this is? And they're like, yes, absolutely. That's what's happening. And, um, which is really cool. So I guess kind of my question is like, in regards to what you're saying this morning about those different layers and the, and the steps and whatnot, you know, a big one of those is trust and, and that type of thing. So how can you, trust you know like what's coming in or like what's the best way to discern and know like this is from him this is not from me um and moving into that because that connection is strong the the inside i feel like i'm getting is strong but because i'm not getting like audibles you know you kind of run into that like what's me what's him what's happening so tell me what you think (laughs) Uh, this is a really common question for people for my channeling students okay Um, But the first thing I do want to say, because what you shared tied into what I was talking about earlier, when I was talking about the um, the archetypal mother and the archetypal father, um, the lecture you're referring to, she's referring to uh, I did um, a presentation for Portal for Portal to Ascension for their conference recently. And it was basically the lecture I gave at the retreat. So that's what. Uh, of course, at the retreat, it was more um, longer and for the retreat and for contact itself. But so you're touching on those issues with having uh, having seen that lecture. It's exactly what we're yeah. talking. <laughs> OK, so the trust thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know how to answer this question because. I know what I channel is. Weird. I mean, if you use the measuring stick of society, right? 
and what's considered sane psychologically. I know what I channel is weird. And I had a lot of resistance at the beginning because it's outside the norm, right? Mm -hmm. And that resistance stops you from bringing it through, basically. So what comes through is diluted. diluted. Mm -hmm. So what I found for myself is that even when I'm not trusting, I have to trust. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of have this game with myself. I don't know if it's a game, it's a process that when I feel like I can't trust it, that I jump over the cliff. The The thing that comes to mind about this, uh, an example of this, <clears throat> was a retreat I did in Japan. And this was many years ago. So actually, I think this was before I met Ruben. But it was the first time I met Hamon. Um, and we were at a contact site in Japan. And as soon as the ship supposedly came in, this dense fog came over the group. And it was so dense that I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And I was told, walk into the fog. I mean, that's like the ultimate, can you trust, right? Yeah. And somehow I knew, what am I going to do? Say no, right? Duh. <laughs> so, okay. Because this is what I've been asking for, right? So why would I say no? So I walked in to the fog and... I felt and sensed, I don't see visually, but I see internally and I sensed and I felt a being standing there. And that's when I met Hamon for the first time. He was in the fog. And there's a lot more that happened that, that day, but um, after it was over, I didn't know that it was the start of something, that if I trust it's going to continue to unfold. Mm -hmm. If I don't trust, it won't unfold. Mm -hmm. So it's it's more a matter of giving yourself permission, as as Bashar would say, give yourself a permission slip. <laughs> for those of you that know that reference, to to trust and see what happens, mm -hmm. especially if you are like not in the public eye. I imagine it's easier to trust because if you make a fool of yourself, nobody will care. <laughs> I still worry that I'm going to make a fool of myself. <laughs> but if I, I found if I trust that afterwards, there is always confirmation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I know I'm not saying anything you don't already know. Maybe I'm giving you a permission slip to step <laughs> forward and trust. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I, it's, it's, I really trust it. Cause like the, the feeling I, I'm more clairsentient than anything. Like, again, I'd love to have the audible to just be like, Oh, I'm hearing it. Therefore I can tune out my own brain. Um, but the, the clairsentience that I have that feeling and the overwhelming love that just that universal love that has come in. I mean, I've completely changed like ever since all this, everybody who looks at me, I mean, they're like, you even look different, you know, like what's, going on here, you know, and I'm like, I can't explain it. It's just, I can't explain it, but you won't understand, <laughs> you know? Right. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like I trust, um, I think it's just years of kind of 
programming of that religious indoctrination of my past and everything of question everything and discernment and all that kind of stuff. And so it causes you to go, well, is this just me? And am I co-creating? So, yeah. I'm sorry to say this to all of you guys, but I don't know that we will ever 100% trust. Mm -hmm. And as strange as it might sound, I think that's a good thing because, you know, we don't want to become zombies, so to speak, like not willing to be open to other things. Right. So the the skepticism, the healthy skepticism, I think is really good, too. But don't let it stop you from exploring. Yeah, good. Okay. Everything you said is kind of the confirmation that I've been getting. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Lisa. You're welcome. Thanks, Lori. So- um, so back to, uh, the cards, what, what, okay. uh, how did we, how did they come about in, in, um, and, and, and what's the backstory on there? It's talking about these, which you guys mm-hmm. probably know. The backstory is, um, that for as long as I've been channeling, which would have been since the eighties, uh, I've been asked the question in private sessions, um, where am I from? Or what are my star connections? And when Jermaine would channel that information, the best way, I have to use an an analogy, but the best way to describe what it feels like is when I'm channeling going into this long, deep tunnel to pull up the information. And it was really exhausting. And uh, so... I had always wanted to do a card system, and I had a friend who was a tarot expert in the 90s who tried to help create it, but it wasn't the right time. And then suddenly, in 2010, as often happens, things germinate in Japan first. They got the idea for me to do it. And I have the Japanese version here. They look a little bit different Mm. with Japanese. Um, they gave me permission to do it. They were going to publish them. And so I checked in with Jermaine and Jermaine said, I got this. And talking about Lori's uh, question about trust, I'm like, there's no way. How can I do that? I don't even know. I don't know. I know this much about tarot. I know this much about cards. So Jermaine started to, uh, transmit the information to me. And the first thing he did was, to transmit one card. Uh, first, he transmitted the species. Okay. Then he transmitted the card theme. So like here, I pulled one that says Seeking Karmic Balance. So he, he would transmit the theme. And in the end, there were 108 cards, that, but they were all jumbled together. And then he said, now I'm going to put them in the correct order. And he started telling me where where to put the cards from 1 to 108. I'm telling you, I have never had so much input from my channeling about something that I was clueless about. And it really proved to me that it was coming from somewhere that was not Lisa's consciousness. Right. But then when I started to, to use them uh, with people and in workshops, I started to see this amazing 
um, uh, feedback uh, that it was it was helping people to unlock sometimes the traumas or sometimes the memories or sometimes their gifts. Mm-hmm. And I just ran with it. And there were so many other miracles that happened with the artwork and all this other stuff. But it was something that obviously was um, meant to be. Mm-hmm. And as you know, you know, Feichi. So last yeah. year, yes, yeah. last year, Feichi, who's in our contact groups, did created the app um, on Apple and Google Play. And that was another miracle because my doubting mind was like, oh, you know, it's never going to be this good as the cards. And sure enough, the magic is in the app, too. She did a phenomenal job. So she that's did. the story about the cards. She did. She did. And what I what I like about it is, in addition, you can read your books and sort of get this galactic history, but you can also just play with the cards right. and get and get this galactic history. Uh, and having for me, having that that sort of people have asked me all the time, like, oh, hey, Ruben, where do I get information on like all the alien species out there? And I mean, you, you can't cover all of them, obviously, but the ones that have the most uh, uh relevancy to the human experience, right? Yeah. There, It's the cards. And I, so I direct people, I'm like, just go get the cards. You got your, you got artwork, you got your, your different versions. You know, the, uh, how do you, how do you call it? Like, for example, the Zeta uh, type one, not type one, what do you call it? Oh, um, um, the eras, the different the eras. eras. Eras, exactly. Yeah. Which is huge, huge uh, information for so many people who are seeking who have maybe had a bad run in with the grays, so to say, right? And then they're like, oh, the, all the grays are bad. And I'm like, no, no, there's an era where the grays, you right. know, uh, actually evolved past these, these limitations and we can connect to those grays. Those are, yes. you know, those are the, the more evolved, better. I, I don't want to say better, but just easier to connect with grays. Right. Than, I'm going to address, yeah. I'd like to address that era yeah, thing. Yeah. First, I'm, I'm seeing um, a question up here about the app. The mm-hmm. app is the same as the cards, Galactic Heritage cards. So if you go to Apple or Google Play and you search Galactic Heritage cards, you'll find them. And I'll have a link in this as so well. The, so the, the, what the he's era. talking about in terms of the eras. Yes. This is, I think it's one of the keys to understanding the connection with our galactic family. So what are the eras? As Jermaine says, there's three different eras of ET evolution. Mm-hmm. The first era is when they are a young species. So this is when they're like third density and early fourth density. So there's a lot of polarity and a lot of wounds. This is where their wounds happen. And that's, that era is where we're coming out of now as, as uh, humans. Mm-hmm. The second era is the era in which the species, you could say, goes into fourth density, but starts healing the wounds. And starts their awakening process. And that's where we are right now. The third era is usually like very, very high fourth density or fifth density where they're not necessarily physical anymore, Mm -hmm. but the consciousness has awakened. So it is a whole integrated awakened species. So what we don't realize when when we have contacts especially if we have contacts maybe with, as you said, Zetas who are um, a little bit unintegrated, let's say, Mm -hmm. where 
we're pulling in that first Arizeta contact for a reason because it's matching or mirroring the frequency we need to see in ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's why, like in the 80s, you know, the Whitley Strieber area, right. the Bob Hopkins era, we were pulling in a lot of that first Arizeta contact because it was serving us to get in touch with our wounds, to get in touch with our fear, especially. And that we needed that for our evolutionary process. Mm -hmm. But as we evolve as a species or even as individuals, we start pulling in contact from different eras. Mm -hmm. So right now there's a lot of contact with second era and third era, mostly because we're, we are going through our healing process and our awakening process. And these more integrated frequencies are helping us in that process. So that's um that that's a really important thing to understand because we we tend as humans to think everything is linear. We right. don't realize we can pull in contact of different types depending on how integrated we are as we are making that contact. I, I use this analogy all the time. Um, you know, in the 1960s, we had the um uh, the the remote viewing programs were full full underway, and we had you know hundreds and hundreds of soldiers sort of remote viewing different things, you know Russian spies and all these things. And it was at that time. And there's many. Uh, if you look at Chetsno's work, are you familiar with Chetsno? Have you heard of him? Oh, Chetsno, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. So he did. He also did work where he regressed. This was in the 80s. He regressed many many people sort of into the future, and it didn't look so promising, right? There's all these doom and gloom. Uh, stories of Earth is uninhabitable. People went underground, and and we have a similar accounts from the remote viewers who talk about at that time when they remote viewed into. And I use the uh, when in, in my time explained seminars or talks, uh, they're at the frequency that they're at at that time to remote view into the future. They're only able to connect with the frequency of that which they're vibrating at. Uh, or so they're seeing a reality that's most in alignment with the timeline that they're dealing with. And therefore it may not be so good, but it's not definite. It's always changing. It's always shifting. And several years later, we've now, we're now in this new energy, new uh, frequency. So as we make these connections, it's a much different experience. So we can connect to a higher version of the gray where back then it was probably very difficult. Very few people uh, you would have to be at a specific vibratory rate to connect to a third era Zeta, where it was much easier to connect to a you know first era. And and now, as consciousness is uplifting the planet, we're able to make these higher connections. Uh, and and even that's changing all the time, always evolving, shifting. You know, we, there's no. <laughs> I'm very hesitant about prophecy because yes. right now everything is fluctuating. We have that, and that's part of the lesson too. Is like yeah. don't get into your prophecy modes, guys, because it's happening. And this is the key, I think. This discernment, all this stuff coming to the surface. Do I believe this story? There, you could pick any storyline you want to go with, pretty much. And it and it's it could be a possibility, right? You could follow that thread and like, yeah, that's a possibility. So I think the key is the, these lessons now are like, hey, focus on the timeline you want, you know, not the ones you don't want. So let's, you know, the Taoists, the Taoists that I studied with, they're yes. one of their biggest um, 
sayings was where the mind goes, energy follows. Mm, So it's really our responsibility to watch where we're putting our minds. Yes. If we're putting it into doom and gloom, then energy is going to follow there. Our energy also. So. Well, and I think that's been part of some of these agendas with Hollywood and the, the, these sort of apocalyptic type yeah. future predictions and stuff. And it's like, no, we don't need that. Exactly. <laughs> Come on. I don't know about you, but I'm really tired of those aliens invade the planet movies. Yes. I, I watched a great movie last night. What was it called? Uh, it was Ron Howard. It was the Philippine, the 13, I think it was called 13 something, 13, 13 lives. Amazing movie about uh, the rescuing of the Philippine boys in. Um, oh, in the, in the, in uh, uh, back in 2019, yeah. that got stuck in the cave, right? And right, we were there right. for like 20 days or something. It was crazy. Yeah. Brilliant movie because there's no like fighting and deaths coming from the sky and apocalyptic. It was just a pure human drama of uh, talk about the, the rescue mission and human, the human capacity to come together, uh, heart centered, and we got to save these boys and putting ingenuity and uh, just. It was just such a refreshing movie to see. I hope it wins some awards this year. Um, but yeah, just to get away from all of this uh, yeah. death and destruction. Yeah. <laughs> I miss I no, in, Interstellar, Interstellar, Interstellar oh, and Arrival. Yes. Interstellar is one of my absolute favorite movies. Oh, my gosh. And the soundtrack <laughs> is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. So I hope, uh, you know, and that's the type of content I'm, you know, I'm used to be this action guy. You know, I made a living creating death and destruction. Or running from it, right? <laughs> or, or running from it, you know, yeah, whatever it was. So now I'm uh, shifting and I'm definitely seeing the world through a different lens and uh, seeing how I was putting my energy into that creation of these things, which there's all these arguments about it, but I, I fully see those energy strings that I was enabling or helping to create. And, and a lot of, not all of it's bad. You know, a lot of people got a lot of good things from it. I get positive comments from, from the video game work and movies and stuff. And there was great movies like Avatar was a part, but definitely I'm feel like I'm much on the better track right now. Exploring well, don't forget things. though that sometimes you have to have that job to trigger people and open them in certain ways, you know, so. Right. And even my own journey, you know, going down those paths and understanding it and like, okay. And there definitely is positivity to take from that, this, this sort of, you know, this warrior, the martial art, the martial way. I'm a big fan of that mindset, uh, the warrior, you know, uh, not in a let's beat them up, kill them up kind of thing, but let's protect, you know, um, serve, you know, these are, those are the, the, the positive sides of the martial way that we can, integrate, uh, overcoming fear and these kinds of things, uh, personal empowerment. There's a lot of good stuff. So I don't want to throw it all under the bus, yeah, but, yeah. um, Candace. Lo- Oh, Candace. Yeah. Okay. Quick question from Candace. Hi, Lisa. You are one of my favorite teachers. I have to tell you, I, I, I haven't followed through the contact work I've followed through, uh, the golden lake. And I took your class on the School of the Nine Serpents, which is some of my favorite teachings. And so one of my questions is, do you intend to offer additional classes or is that the class? 
Uh, you mean additional classes regarding the regarding Nine the school of the nine serpents? Mm -hmm. Okay, what she's talking about for those of you that don't know um, is a teaching that was introduced in the Golden Lake book here, and it is uh, it's considered awakening teachings that were given to humanity in the ancient days, but that also came from our galactic family, so they'd go back as far as Vega. Um, I do want to do more with the Nine Serpent teachings right now. Uh, you know, I'm going back to the Japan thing. I'm I'm still very locked into my schedule, mm -hmm. uh, which is like February, June, and November every year until the end of time. And so, in February, you know, they they always give that workshop, that beginner workshop. That I guess that's the one you took, right? Okay, your name seemed sound familiar, so now I know I why. emailed you because I sent you a mandala that I created for your type. Uh -huh. I, I, so I'm writing a series of nine books that are showing how your the nine personality types according to the Enneagram system are your version of your ego, that there's not one style of the ego there. And then I was just astonished when I read your book and the School of the Nine Serpents those are the personality types. And so a lot of what I was channeling myself in teachings, you were reflecting back to me and it was just startling. Um, so, but anyway, I'll send you okay. that, uh, you're the type one mandala because I'm when sure your books, you're- When your book comes out, tell me because I'd love to read that. I, okay, I'm great. Ego, ego nerd, <laughs> ego teachings nerd. Anyway, to answer your question, um, Yes, I'd love to do more with the Nine Serpents teachings. I've gotten a lot of requests for that. Um, a lot of it is when they tell me. Okay. And I've when learned that if Lisa tries to do it, if Lisa's ego tries to do it, it's going to fall flat on its face. So I have to wait till they say. And, you know, the human personality can get really frustrated by that. But I've learned that it, there's no other way that I can be because otherwise, you know, it's not going to work out. But I think it is on the horizon. I don't know when, but I don't think you've seen the end of the Nine Serpents teachings. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. I had one other question regarding a teaching that was in the Golden Lake. It was um, the opposite of what I'd always heard about explaining reincarnation. And so I wanted to ask for some clarity because I do understand that reincarnation, we call them past lives, but they're actually all happening at the same time. But what you had said was we return to the Golden Lake after the lifetime where, you know, uh, typically we think of this soul having a series of lives and you're building karma. And But you had said, no, you actually return to the one and, and come back out to have another lifetime. Okay, yeah, this is a hard one to explain because our brains are linear. And she's referring to, um, it's a Pleiadian teaching, actually. Uh, they call the teachings of the Golden Lake, which has to do with the idea that, all right, I'm going <laughs> to, they're, they're telling me how to, how to say it, okay? I've never okay. used a metaphor before, but I'm going to use it now. That. If all consciousness is the ocean, right, and every once in a while a wave 
comes up. And that wave can be likened to uh, an individual lifetime or and it has an ego in there. So it thinks it's an individual. I'm a wave. I'm a unique wave. But then what happens? You go back down into the ocean. And then there is no really you because you is only your ego. It's only your personality. Then another wave arises and thinks it's an individual and has an individual experience. But then it too goes back into the ocean. So. Our minds want to understand that linearly, but it's not a linear process. And if I remember correctly, what Sasha said in the book was that um, we that that our understanding of reincarnation on Earth now was is a linear understanding of it, but it was the only way we could understand it at our level of consciousness. Sure. So it's it's truth at our level of consciousness, but as you um, your consciousness is raised, you start to see it isn't that linear. And we're already seeing this with people having experiences of themselves in simultaneous lifetimes, for example. So the point is then that if we view incarnation from an egoic perspective, then it will be a linear perspective. If we remove the ego from the equation, then it's the perspective of the wave as an individual and then back to the ocean and the wave as an and that each each wave, of course, carries the whole within it. So even though that's an individual wave, it might have a memory of being Cleopatra, right. right? But not because that individual was Cleopatra, but because you're feeling the, the, the holographic nature of the entire ocean. And for whatever reason, that um, person in history needed to be remembered or connected with in that individual expression of the wave. Does that? Yeah, I've heard it through Dolores Cannon as well. She, I started, um, I'm getting certified in her QHHT technique. And so you're exposed to a lot of her teachings. And she was also explaining this concept of imprinting or sort of borrowing. And she said that she has channeled through so many different people people with a past life who was Mary Magdalene. She's like, I've had, you know, I've met like 30 different Mary Magdalene's, you know, but um, it, it, you know, it may, she was explaining the same concept that we are all connected. And so each lifetime we may have a memory that was not literally our memory, but it is relevant to the knowledge we need right. to have for this lifetime. Exactly. And it doesn't matter if it's ours because the only part of us that, that, can have anything is the ego. And the ego is transitory because it no longer exists after we die. So yeah. who is really the one that has it? Yeah, I'm getting into like more of the ancient yoga. I know, but that's my favorite stuff. Okay, you know, well, I just felt like the Golden Lake teachings were quite advanced and were new, new concepts that I had not heard anywhere else before. Um, really like exciting. Canadians. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, Candice.
Um, ben, did you have did you have a question for Lisa, or did you want more for channeling? Uh, no, it's a question for Lisa. Actually, okay. can you hear me? Hi, Ben. Hello, Lisa. How are you? Hello, Ruben, and everyone. Um, you're doing an amazing job with this platform. Uh, I've been lurking in the shadows for some weeks because uh, I work in the uh, music industry, so a lot of the time nights are long for me. So the Sundays I'm not. Uh, I don't have my Sunday best on, you know, so <laughs> I, I, I've kept the shade on. Um, Lisa, my question for you pertains to the topic of contact. There's so much um, pressure and uh, momentum building for the contact process. But from what I sense, and this could just be me, my personal feeling is that humanity hasn't reached a point yet where we could really um fathom the aspects of contacts and i think um that there's a certain degree of um internal work that still needs to happen before full contact could happen um obviously bashar is you know i mean he's kind of loosely stating that from 2023 the um window for open contact is now open but i i get a sense of feeling that if we were to have contact now that it may even trigger such a level of trauma from humanity because we're coming from a place of orphans in a sense galactically we most people on the planet have no understanding of our galactic ancestry and to have that bombshell dropped on them now i i mean i i think that would send a few people to the wall and so just from your personal perspective how do you see the possibility of contact playing out for us well ben i i'm i hate to say that i agree with you 100 percent um but i kind of do i don't think as a whole humanity is fully ready yet which is why it's so important to have these small pockets of people that are doing this kind of work to kind of um jump start that energy into the mass consciousness but what that will do of course is bring up a lot of stuff as you as you mentioned for those that aren't ready so my understanding from from what sasha has said to me in the past is that they're monitoring this really closely so they're trying to help us get to that unity field as much as possible without triggering a mass freakout. <laughs> because the freakout, in my understanding, might not be in the way that we imagine it to be. It's not going to be people running through the streets, you know, saying the ETs are evil. It, it might have more to do with everybody's stuff coming up. And them not understanding why it's coming up. For example, I've had situations at contact retreats where there were participants who hadn't done some inner work that was very necessary to do. And they couldn't handle the frequency. They would either have to leave or they would create some kind of story that would make them feel comfortable, but that was not 
was kind of a separate energy from what the group was experiencing. So that's why I agree with you 100%. I know Bashar has said we're, I don't follow Bashar totally anymore, like I did in the 80s. I just heard snippets here and there, but I do know that he is saying that this period now is becoming this window. But what I find with Bashar is that he he doesn't often explain what he means. So if you, that would be a really good question to ask Sasha, actually, about that window and what that window really means from her point of view. I'm going to let her answer that because I think she'll give a better answer than I could. Does that address it? Uh, Yes, it does, Lisa. Yes, of course. Essentially, we have to work through our BS condos, right? (laughs) Exactly. Nobody's been taking notes. Oh, I study, I study. (laughs) I've always got all the downloads from the site now. Oh, man, that's awesome. He's they're, They're incredible. And for anyone listening, please, you know, go to Lisa's site, go to the audio downloads. There's so much information in there. Just sit with them, transcribe them. The School of Nine Serpents is off of the chain. Uh, If you transcribe that for yourself, you really get your head around it and everything. Mars Guardian, the the whole nine. There's so much, so much, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. As you can tell, I'm a fan. Thanks, (laughs) Ruben. Well, Ben, come back on and ask that question to Sasha later. Um, Do we want to take a quick little break? I'll come back when I'm done. When you're done. All right. Okay. Um, now that Lisa's back, let's get into some channeling. Uh, or how do you feel, Lisa? Uh, I just slammed down a snack because when I channel, my blood sugar gets low. So <laughs> I got ahead of that. Okay. So um, I think everybody here has seen me channel. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be here in this group. So I'm just going to go into it and we'll see what happens. Okay. Hello, it's Sasha here. Wonderful to be with you today, Ruben, and of course, all of the friends here as well. Oh, nice to talk to you again, Sasha. It's always a pleasure. We missed you at the retreat, my dear. I missed you guys too. Yes, I, I um, will definitely not have to reconnect soon uh, in the retreat space. But thank you for coming on today. Um, we have, I'm sure there's a ton of questions, but is there anything before we jump into questions that you'd like to share or should we just jump right into questions? Just jump right in since your time is limited. Okay. I'm going to let Ben go with his question first because he was uh, had that while it's fresh. Go ahead, Ben. Okay. You hear me? Yes. 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 Hi, Sasha. Hello. Um, 
My, my question for you would be the same one that I uh, just asked Lisa regarding um, the unfoldment of open contact. There's much talk about 2023 uh, being the opening of the window for full contact to take place. And obviously there's a lot of pressure building within certain pockets of humanity to push that forward. Uh, my question to Lisa was um, how... How do you guys see that playing out? Because from what I observe as a human on this planet, full contact at this stage, I think, would trigger way too much trauma and shatter many people's belief systems. And um, I think it would be counterproductive to um, the evolution of consciousness. Yes. And as Lisa said to you, we would agree with you also. But we're going to, she she made a comment about uh, explaining, having us explain perhaps a little bit more about what Bashar is referring to. So now again, we don't want to put words into his mouth, but we're just going to share how we see it. So you use the term window, and this is a very, this is a very good term because when you open a window, a lot of things can happen. Basically, though, when you open a window, a breeze comes in. So we're looking at this idea of a window opening as being a way to begin to, let's say, thin the veils between worlds, so to speak, and let a breeze come in. A window is not a door, however. And that's why we feel the word window was specifically chosen. So the way we see the energy then in the next few years regarding contact is that, yes, a window will open, which will allow a breeze to come in, perhaps in a bigger way than it has in the past. So you might see more of an interest in contact. You probably will see, for those of you doing contact work, changes in the contact work, maybe a little bit more solidification or obvious types of things that are contact, whereas before you were questioning yourself. So in that case, then, the breeze that's coming in is kind of like the idea of bringing warm or bringing hot water into warm water to begin to acclimate the cold, sorry, hot water into cold water, creating warm water as a way to act acclimate between two very different types of realities. So in terms of our plan, from our point of view, we are, of course, going to continue with our contact work with all of you in various different ways. And we, there's no set plans right now in terms of how or what we're going to do, but we do intend to, in some ways, step it up a little bit in frequency. How that translates in your reality will be up to the individual groups and individuals who are participating in that type of contact. So we would agree with you. This is a very, in a sense, volatile time right now in your world. and going full on with a door open to contact would be a bit much. But the fact that a window is open is a good sign. 
you are progressing in a typical way that species like you progress as they move from third to fourth density. We know it feels frustrating for so many of you that are ready to go faster, but we would like you to see yourselves more as the way showers. And sometimes, you know, if you're leading a hike, you have to wait for the others to catch up. And so that's kind of your role right now. You can, you can lead and be a pioneer, but there are times where you're going to have to wait for others to catch up. So, Ben, does this give clarity on your question? Yes, Sasha, indeed. That was very insightful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Could I squeeze a tail question into that? Go ahead. Sure. Um, from what I understand, um, what, what is taking place on Earth in this time and space is of particular interest to our galactic family, um, even more so just from being um, close relatives to certain species. Um, as I understand it, uh, I, I mean, I, I've been reading at least for 20 years about how this is so pivotal to um, everything else that is happening in our um, galaxy. Could you um, emphasize on that, please? Mm. Which aspect? Why it's of so much interest, whether we... Let's use the ascension word, not that I'm a fan of that, but the ascension process for humanity is of great interest to others. Yes. In the bleachers. We join you in not being a fan of that term as well. But in terms of why, why is this such an interest to us? A lot of it has to do with because we are all connected through our genetic lines, through, and not just genetics, of course, through, through our galactic family, that we see ourselves in you. We see our ancient past in you. We see that you are struggling and we remember what it was like to struggle in such a way. Now, maybe we don't remember it completely, but we remember it enough that the compassion is very deep for you. And we see that part of being a galactic citizen is sharing and helping and assisting and being role models. So we cannot turn a blind eye to what you are experiencing. And conversely, we cannot jump in and save you. Been there, done that, yes. So instead, we can offer, we can watch, we can learn, we can offer assistance when the timing is right and step back when that is necessary. But the why has to do with the recognition of well, going back to what was uh, talked about with Lisa earlier uh, regarding the Golden Lake or the ocean and the wave, recognizing we are all the ocean temporarily manifesting as a wave. And therefore, because we are literally one, watching you go through this struggle 
is like watching still a part of our collective go through it in a different, unique way, perhaps, than, than my history was, because you're doing it in your, your own unique way. But we can see elements of our struggle. We can see elements of the Syrian struggle, the Orion struggle, the Zeta struggle, all the main characters you've come to know in your story. We can see elements of it in your struggle. And we want to be there to assist when we can and learn always. Maybe that's kind of a boring answer, but it is the truth from our hearts. No, it's not, it's not a boring answer. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So, so can I, just to close that, and I, I promise I won't take any more time. So for humanity to come into alignment, would that also work in a, an, in a sense of a ripple or echo effect back to your species and all the way back to the, the point of creation? Exactly, yes. Okay. We have it. Thank you. I'll step off. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Um, I, I have sort of kind of a, a connected question to that. Going back to the, you know, it was talked with Lisa just earlier about the Palladian Syrian experiment in a sense. So, so female, male, I had gotten a download, uh, when, when I had my interaction with the mantis bean, uh, about that same type of experiment, um, the, the mantis were involved in helping with that, I guess. Um, and they, it was told to me at that time, it was more of like a reptilian consciousness but, or over masculine consciousness is that, uh, I'm just wondering, going back to that inception of that idea, uh, that collaboration, uh, how did that come about and why, and, and, uh, and, and why did it form? I'm assuming our Lemurian beings being, that were originally here on earth kind of didn't have this polarity. And then we introduced you guys. Was it you and the Syrians getting together and in, and having that connection with the Lemurians and talking about, or what, what, how did that come about? There's a lot in your question, my dear. <laughs> there, is, there is. I know the more I ask it, I'm like, Oh, well, this is, this is really big. This is like an epic question. We're um, not sure. Are you asking about reptilians and mantis? Are you asking about uh, here? Let's Please go back. Yeah, let's go back to so this just this original sort of let's let's dumb it down to just masculine and feminine energy. This decision to combine the two, Palladian Syrian, whatever label you want to put on it, like why and when and 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 what was the Palladians' uh, motivation for this experiment for joining in? There's a lot of nerdy ways we could answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're all nerds here. In general, your galaxy, which is our galaxy also, mm -hmm. leans toward slightly masculine. Okay. We're, we're drawing something here. Mm. So, okay. So... Your ga our galaxy, we'll put a plus sign. Mm -hmm. You have a sister galaxy, Andromeda, Andromeda. Mm -hmm. leans more toward the feminine. Yin-yang, always, and always balance. Mm -hmm. So, 
when you look at the inception of your galactic family, if we go all the way back to Lyra and Vega, there was always a slight tilt toward the masculine. Even when the Vegans broke away from the Lyrans and wanted to go inward and explore technically their feminine energy going in, it ended up manifesting masculine again. That's because the energy is tilted toward masculine. Therefore, when you look at your main archetypal civilizations in your galactic family, you're going to see most of them tilt toward masculine. Some, such as mine, the Pleiadians, tilt toward feminine. And basically what this means is that the feminine, those that are tilting toward the feminine, are less in number which means the Pleiadians are very busy, yes? Mm. So what that means is then that in civilizations such as yours, such as the Vegans, there has to be an energy that helps to balance it out of the masculine. It's not going to, when you're in third density, it's never going to fully be balanced because the nature of third density is unbalanced. Mm -hmm. But... Therefore, now, as you are moving into your fourth density expression, you're moving more and more toward balance. So the Pleiadian energy or the feminine energy is, plays a much more important part. We could be mothers silently in the background, so to speak, for you in third density, but it's the type of energy that has to play in the background because you needed to have the third density experience. Mm -hmm. So now that you're going through this transition, the both of the masculine and the feminine have to come forward and find a way to come into balance. So for example, you know, and we apologize for those of you maybe that don't know these teachings, but for those of you that either listen to the audios or who have been to the retreats, you know that we utilize the sacred form of the octahedron. Mm -hmm. There is one here. Just a moment. For those of you that don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And this sacred form of the octahedron is representative of the energy of fourth density, but it's also representative of the energy of the balance of male and female energy. So, Syrian archetypal male, that's why, of course, they are in, they are um, here and working with you. And Pleiadian energy archetypal female. Now, of course, my civilization in galactic time is not that much older than yours. So, we weren't around in the same way to help some of the more ancient civilizations balance their masculine energy. But other civilizations or other consciousnesses such as Arcturus was there to take that role. So we don't know whether we are straying away from what you are asking, but does this give you some yes. insight? Yes, yes, that, that helps. Um, yeah, I think that that's what I was looking to, <laughs> to understand. It's a big question. Mike. It is a big question. Um, yeah, I guess 
basically, so just to summarize, because things were sort of leaning a little too masculine heavy, Palladians being this, this more feminine energy, uh, sort of raise their hands and say, hey, we'll help out with that. We can help you guys balance things out. Is that kind of how it, how it went out? Yes, but the only the only tweak we would make to what you've said is that mm -hmm. for us, it was never a decision, mm -hmm. a, like a mental decision, Okay, was a knowingness sure. that, that this was our role. Right, right, right. And, and that all this healing, probably over masculine uh, healing would uh, would come about by you guys uh, sort of co-creating, uh, you know, our human experience. And a lot of it is timing, my dear. Mm -hmm. And there's there's another there's another aspect to this that those of you nerds that know some of the older teachings that we've given this piece of information that when in the ancient, very, very ancient days on Earth, before the Pleiadian civilization came to be, there were groups of Lyran beings who were here on your world. And in order to... Um, to adapt themselves to the environment here, they incorporated some of the genetics from the ancient human species on your world or human type, pre-human type, into themselves. So these Lyrans became, in a sense, Earth Lyrans. Mm -hmm. Eventually, they had to leave the planet. And in leaving the planet, joined another group that became Pleiadians. So my civilization, then we have two main genetic lines. One is what you might call pure, coming from pure Lyran, and one, what we consider to be Earth Lyran, which has ancient Earth genetics within us. So being that, many within my civilization have Earth genetics within us. It's not that you have, it's only you that have our genetics in you. We have your genetics in us too. We are compelled to assist you it's not even a question hence the uh we always hear planes are our cousins or distant family and and this is so literally we're we're blood family it's a two-way street not a one-way yeah. blood dna family uh, yes but yeah okay cool uh mark has his hand up go ahead mark hello great to talk to you hello mark Bye. So I don't know that this question is just coming from possibly the stream of consciousness that I incarnated from in relation to helping planetary assistance. And maybe I've got recollection of aspects of this stream that helped on others. But since I know that everything is connected and our planet's going through a part of the galaxy now that has this energy that's helping us to ascend. I'm curious how widespread that is. And are there other planets that are also going through ascension like us and or are there other planets and beings that maybe they're not going through ascension like us, but say they're already in sixth dimension and they're moving to seventh. So is this more of a widespread up-leveling, more universal? And, and as we get to join into the galactic community, are we going to be able to start to interact with other aspects of ourselves that are going through a similar process, such as ourselves? Going from 3D into 5D, for instance. Well, the last part of your question we'll take first because that's an easy one to answer. 
And the answer is yes, that actually you are already connecting to these other aspects of yourself that are going through the transition. This is a whole other dimension to the contact experience because the great percentage of beings with whom you experience close contact are other versions of you. That's also a way that makes the contact experience much more smooth and much more easy for those of you that are open and willing to that experience. So that is already happening. It will continue to happen, even if you don't necessarily know this being that visited you is another aspect of you. It's the easiest way for contact to happen because there's a resonant energy. Okay, so that's a given. Yes, yes, yes to that. Now, in terms of this idea about the other uh, civilizations in the galaxy, whether they're going through their shift as well, uh, we're going to pull a little trick that we do sometimes with students. And it's not that we're meaning to trick you. It's more that we find language very challenging. Because when a question is asked that has to do with time, in some cases, we see two versions of the answer. We see a version of the answer that exists in the linear time stream and a version of the answer that exists outside the linear time stream. So if we take the answer within the linear time stream, then we're going to show you this waves, okay? In this, what we mean by this is that the transformation process, awakening process that you are referring to, in terms of the galactic family, you can see it as happening in a waveform. That there is always movement. There is always this movement toward integration. We, we like the word integration more so than ascension, but it's ideally the same idea. There's always that movement toward it because the full being that you are, the one, the ocean, if you will, metaphorically is like a magnet that always pulls you toward integration. So. The movement happens with all of you, all consciousness everywhere in a wave form toward integration. So that's the point of view of looking at it from a, a perspective that includes a time stream. Because a wave form can really only be seen objectively outside of it with a time stream as a relative position. Now, we answer the question from outside of the time stream or outside of the view of, physica of, of physicality in terms of the human mind, then what we are talking about is the ocean, which is its, its natural state is already complete and integrated. If you look down more detailed into it, you can see its components, so to speak, if you must. 
And in that case, then, and we know this is hard to wrap the mind around, you are already everything. So we use the term density and we use it as seven density spectrum for convenience. So that would mean you exist, not you, your ego you, but you, your consciousness you, outside of the egoic structure, exist in all aspects, all frequencies in that density spectrum. And so there's no place to move to because it is outside of time and you're already everything anyway. So we've given you two answers to the question, one from a time stream and one outside of the time stream. And hopefully we did not make your head explode. What do you think? Margo, is your he's still there, kind of. Is there yeah. smoke coming out of his ears? Yes, yeah. there's, I see smoke and gas coming out right now. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. That, uh, And that was the one thing that I was, because I know that, you know, if I'm, you know, as the more I tap into um, things like, uh, you know, being a way shower and stuff, that there's going to be infinite numbers of aspects in the mass consciousness that I could resonate with that, you know, across all time and space and dimensions that exist or don't exist. Um, and, and that's why I wasn't sure whether I was just tapping into some of that or tapping into some that is actually occurring, going to, a, is occurring and or will occur in our linear one. And I, I guess the answer that I'm hearing is yes. And yes, that it's, it's occurring in the linear aspect and in the, and of course, everything is occurring in the nonlinear aspect. Yeah. Yes and yes. Very good. <laughs> All I right. We're going to be chewing on this for a while. Yes. I think so. I think so. Thanks, Mark. Is that good? Mark, you good? Yes. All right. Uh, Ian, go ahead with your question. Hi, guys. It's... Uh... Ian, it's nice to, to be on the show and to talk to Sasha. Um, I, I live in Nova Scotia. It's my first time to ask, ask a question. I'm a little nervous, but I'm going to go ahead here. Uh, I, I thought I had a, maybe something that I could put out a personal experience after watching uh, Sasha and Ruben's show uh, in 2020 uh, during lockdown. And uh, I thought maybe it, it could help get some insight for other people who, who want to do contact and C5. And I'd like to be able to recreate this experience if possible. And I, I'm a little, I could use your insight. It might be helpful for other folks too. Um, I guess after watching your, you guys' show, I went outside. There was no planes in the sky, no cars on the road. And uh, I went for a walk and it was very, very silent, very dark. And I saw, an, I had an experience there. So it lasted probably 20 minutes, half hours, a very, very deep experience. Lots of, lots of feel, felt very connected to the experience. Lots of lights in the sky, of course. Um, triangle shapes, square shapes, lights, um, and it felt—I felt really connected, and I felt like I had somehow a connection to the event. And of course, it was—it uh, was part of uh, of Lisa before this experience. It was my first time, and I think it might have been my first time watching Ruben's show. And I went outside, and uh, and uh, so. I came back home, so that's my experience. And I, 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 any insight would be, be helpful. Uh, that's that's about that's about it, I guess. 
insight into which aspect in particular? Um, into what, why this happened and what, what does it mean or how could I recreate it? You know, like there must have been something when I was watching the show. I don't know if it, maybe it wasn't random. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was just some kind of airplane <laughs> at this point. <laughs> He's looking I, for that magic formula, that that button we were talking about earlier. Yeah, it's just a no, button no. to recreate. I, I mean, we... I want I want my story to be relevant for everybody too. So maybe if you have insight around that, that could serve other people. But thank you for explaining further. This it's a beautiful question because it is a very universal question, in the sense that when we have, uh, when when we see that. You have you humans have an opening experience. Very often, there is a a desire for more and for the next step, and not an understanding that the next steps never stop. They never stop. So even though it might seem like right now you're not having that same experience, there's something happening like on an alchemical level within you. And as long as you continue to, in a sense, stoke the fire within you, then that process is going to continue. Everyone, though, has their own timing. So we know humans would like to know that they would like to think that they can speed it along a little bit. It's not so much that you can speed it along But you can begin to tune yourself to what is already happening that maybe you're not noticing. And that's the case that we see with you, but also with many people as well, that there is more happening, but it's very subtle right now. And you're not used to recognizing those subtle things as being part of the process. So in terms of opening yourself more, the very the most important thing really for humans on a human level is to give yourself the space in which to do so. The space and the time, whether that's, we know you're in Canada, so perhaps this time of year is not a good time to go outside, but maybe you can have a chair a favorite chair somewhere by a fire or by a window. You don't even need to see the sky, though we've found for humans it's very helpful because it it helps to open to that sense of infinity. And let your inner guidance guide you as to what to do. We know that sounds kind of like a paradox, but if you let yourself sit and quiet yourself and Ask, even if you, you question whether anyone is there, but ask whatever comes to your mind or heart, whether it's what should my next step be, or is there anyone there, or whatever comes to your mind and heart. We know this sounds like a baby step, but it's actually creating a habitual pathway within yourself that helps you to intuitively begin to know that you are your own best guide, that you are your own, that you are the most powerful aspect that can guide you on this journey more than anyone else. Now, of course, you can listen to lectures and 
and things like that and let them open you and trigger you. But you are going to have the responsibility to take what you get from that and to walk forward. And it's always a walk into the unknown. And as was discussed before, there are also aspects where trust is an issue. Am I really, is anything really happening? Am I really opening? Is anyone really connecting with me? Those voices need to be recognized, acknowledged, but not grabbed onto, let's say. Mm, yeah. Okay. And if you can establish this type of inner, what can we call it? Inner, inner guidance system. It might feel weak at the beginning, but it will get stronger the more and more you acknowledge yourself and give yourself that space. So what do you think about this so far? It makes total sense. I mean, it's, it's nice, nice to see the lights. Yes. <laughs> And, and oh. get the show once in a while. <laughs> of course. And you know, here's the other paradox of contact, my dear. You probably know this. The more you want the show, the less likely you're going to get it. Yeah, right, right. When you don't care so much, right, it happens. This was kind of a joke at the last contact retreat where there was so much light activity and people were so used to seeing it, they just went to bed. So you're going to find that there will come a point where it's exciting. It's wonderful. But then you realize that's not the deepest thing. And you can, and you let yourself go deeper. But it's a good place to start. One other suggestion, if you can, if you want to explore this, if you have a friend, you can do this with either together. Together, of course, in person is the best option. But if not online, it can really, really help this process. Mm-hmm. Yes, I understand the the internal process absolutely. It makes it makes sense. Good to hear it. Thank you. You're welcome. And we'll see if we can rally any of our friends up there. To, Please <laughs> just say it, send a hello to you in a moment when you're not needing it. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Ian. Um, we have uh, a question from Lucas, and then uh, this will be the last question, and then I'll uh, I have a follow up question at the end. Okay. Go ahead, Lucas. Hi, Sasha. Hello. It's so nice to talk to you again. I have a question about assistance versus interference. Ah, okay. Big one. <laughs> How do you, you guys, uh, experience that? How do you know the difference? Okay. Ah, oh, very, very, very good question. When you are a lesser evolved species, such as high third density or early fourth density, such as my civilization was 13,000 years ago, for example, it's hard to tell the difference. We will, we will admit that. So for you right now in your level of evolution, it can be hard to tell the difference. But here is the key. Here is one key to help you learn the difference. If you learn the difference of the feeling of resistance versus flow, it's going to help you know what is resistance and what is interference. Interference 
tends to have a feeling of resistance energetically. Flow often has the feeling of flow or movement or rightness, however you want to, to categorize it. And right now, in, in, in where you are as, as, a, as a species, you might be, you might feel some confusion about telling the difference because sometimes you might feel resistance, but that resistance is part of the flow. This is part of the, the challenge of your transition from third to fourth density. But if you were to look at higher into fourth density, for example, where my species is now and many of the other species that assist you are now, when there is an idea to do something, it flows through us in a way where it is not individualized, meaning Sasha, I am doing this, but it's more the feeling of the universe is doing this through Sasha. That is the flow. So as you move into fourth density, you're going to more and more have those types of experiences where you can feel the difference and feel the flow and know that low is your destiny, so to speak, in terms of as you go deeper and deeper into fourth density, that you will be living in a constant state of flow. Flow or stillness. Stillness being, of course, stillness. Flow being movement. So in third density, it's resistance versus flow. In fourth density, it's stillness and flow. So maybe that's a bit nerdy, but has this helped you? Tremendously. Yes. Thank you. Um, I keep pulling the cultural sharing card. And for some reason, I keep tying it back to interference and assistance. And I'm not sure what my hang-up is there. Well, my dear, this isn't just an old wound for you of 13,000 years ago. Now, we're going to talk to everyone here for a moment, and you're included in this. But this is a very, very significant time on your world now for another reason. Because it's the opposite period of your 26,000-year cycle. 13,000 years ago, meaning 13,000 years ago, when the ETs left, that was when the big wound happened. And many of you at that time were either humans being left or ETs doing the leaving or any variation or combination of that idea. And then as humanity fell into its sleep cycle in the last 13,000 years, there was a lot of latent fear and guilt and self-judgment and all of that about what you didn't do or what you did wrong. And if you had done it right, the ETs wouldn't have left. Humanity wouldn't have fallen into the sleep cycle, etc. So when, and this goes back to actually Ben's question from earlier too, just about the idea of this energy of the wound and the trauma and the necessity to pass through the door 
of this wound and this trauma directly correlated to 13,000 years ago so that, in a sense, you can be free as you move into fourth density. So the reason this keeps coming up for you is because of that time, 13,000 years ago, you questioned something you did. And even to this day, now, of course, this is not you as the human now. This is the greater aspect of your consciousness that still remembers, remembers this ripple in the wave, so to speak. But there was something that you're still judging yourself for. You don't have to know exactly what it is, but what, it, what becomes important is the feeling of that wound, the feeling of that emotion and the bringing it up for healing. This is one of those journeys, let's say, that doesn't have a map. So each person has to take that journey and facilitate that healing according to their own inner guidance. But the cards are helping you tap into it. So See if you can use all the tools available to you in your life to take you deeper into that idea. And, you know, imagination also is a wonderful tool. You could sit down and imagine a story about yourself 13,000 years ago. What would come out 13,000 years ago as an ET? What would, it, what would that story be? Write the story. See what happens. Do you follow? Yes. Wow. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. This was an important question because this idea of these old wounds and unfinished business from 13,000 years ago is coming up big time for those of you who have this, uh, who are on this type of spiritual quest with your extraterrestrial connections. And this is part of what has to be healed for that contact window to open wider and for the window to, in a sense, eventually become a door. So we thank you for asking the question because it's, it's an important awareness to have that you can take yourself on that journey and you're not crazy if you're feeling all this crazy stuff about what you did or didn't do 13,000 years ago. Thank you thank, so much for your question. Thanks, Maria. Um, okay, we'll honor your time. And um, yeah, great, great. Uh, it's always great to connect in this way. And Get these amazing uh, nuggets of, of wisdom that we can hopefully take home and integrate and get through this 13,000-year craziness. You know, it's intense right now for you, but when you look back as a species, this is the, this is the fun house. This is the biggest roller coaster, so to speak. So yep. it's intense, but you will get through it, especially because of those of you such as the viewers that are here today and those of you watching later, your interest, your commitment is, let's say, the light that leads others through the tunnel, so to speak. So someone we think out there was asking how to get started in terms of doing CE5 work or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we were talking with the person in Nova Scotia. Do whatever is available to you. That's it. There, there is, as you were joking about, no magic button. 
the magic button is the one you create, so to speak. And if you experiment in joy, that is more than enough. More, more, more than enough. You cannot do anything wrong. You can, as long as you are working from your heart and you are sincere, that's all it takes. You can be alone. You can be in a group. But the, that type of work is really, really important, not just to see the UFOs, so to speak, but because circling back to something we said earlier, and then we will finish, when you do this kind of work, you are literally connecting with other versions of yourself. And when you do, you are facilitating integration within your being. And when you facilitate integration within your being, it's like creating a Taurus field, a Taurus field of integration that pulls in others who are ready for integration too. So you literally create an energy field that assists not just those around you, but the mass consciousness as a whole. So it's a lot bigger than you realize. We thank you all for bringing your love and your beautiful selves to this session today. And Ruben, of course, once again, we thank you for the work. You're creating a huge, gigantic Taurus field of integration. So are most, most grateful for all that you are doing. We will bring Lisa back. And to all of you, we send much love. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Sasha. You're welcome. Yeah, great stuff. Um, so I will put all the links in uh, in our in our uh, replay here, so everybody can access uh, your website, your cards, uh, classes, any updates. Definitely, everybody, you know, get on Lisa's uh, lists and uh, mailing lists, and and then get in touch with her about uh, what's coming down the pipeline and hopefully I won't be sick at the future ones and I can <laughs> hang out. We'll, we'll, well do some. You, you may have stuff. been sick, Ruben, but yeah. about uh, eight of us got to COVID after the retreat. So, I you know, heard, yeah. I was sick it, too after the retreat. Yeah. 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 I was hoping to avoid doing that, but I guess, yeah, it's an, inevitable. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so we, and we, it looks like we got some, uh, a little bit of nudging to do some collaborations down the road. So. That's a really good idea. I like that. Me too. I I really like that idea. So let's talk more about it. And one more thing to say to you guys. um, Mm -hmm. I I know I get a lot of emails. People wish that I did more things, uh, especially online. And I really apologize for that. Uh, A lot of it is the Japan work takes me so much time, but takes so much of my time. But also, as I mentioned before, I wait till they tell me to do Mm -hmm. something. So... I, I've had to come to learn to trust that, and um, I hope you understand. I, well, my heart you you work so hard, Lisa. Don't don't you have so much to offer? Don't put yourself down at all. I mean, this is you, you're you have a, a huge library of work that uh, I still haven't gotten through. I'm still you know trying. <laughs> I have my Lisa folder on my Dropbox, and I'm always listening and always trying to get the downloads. So. Um, yeah, you got plenty of, there's plenty of work to do. If anybody wants to check your work out, you have a, an amazing library of work, you and Ron both. 
to leave us so we can explore and and uh, uh, and discover. It's amazing. So thank you thank for you everything so you're you're doing for for all of us nerds, right? Our galactic nerds. Um, hey, I love galactic nerds. <laughs> yes, right there with you. So thank you so much. Always. Thank and you, everybody. I'll hope to see you again. Thanks for coming today, and those yeah. of you viewing, thank you. I'll say bye bye and let Ruben go. Yep. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. Bye-bye. I'll keep talking, and Ron bye-bye. will be knocking on the door. Sure. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in. I uh, hope you like this interview. We actually do this every week on my membership portal page. And you can access it through interviewwithed.org or uh, click on the link uh, somewhere in here. I'll put a link and uh, come over and join us. You too can ask questions. Every week we have new special guests and you get to ask questions directly to the channelers and to the beans that they channel. So see you in the portal.